Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Another excellent job this morning by those who led us in worship. Another round of applause, please. Well, we just completed a sermon series titled Jesus in the Old Testament, and it was really cool for us to be able to go through seven different accounts in the Old Testament where we saw Jesus show up before his birth. Now today is the start of a new series. The title of the series that we are starting today is Second Peter is the book, so the title is this. The church under siege. The church under siege. And if you notice the tagline for this sermon series that we're going to go through as we go through each verse of 2 Peter, it says, let us not be fooled. Now, I must confess, I've been sinful in the past, and I'm probably sinful in the present, and will continue to be sinful in the future as it pertains to what I'm about ready to admit to you. See, I have a tendency to get caught up in what would be known as the polemics or the argument of calling out heresy. Because I'm a staunch believer that if there's 27 books in the New Testament and 11 to 13 of them actually address heresy, false teachers, antichrist, dangerous doctrine, we better be paying attention to what we're reading by whoever it is that's writing it, what we're hearing by whoever it is that's preaching it. But the Lord has made it abundantly clear to me to not go around and address who I think is and is not a heretic. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. My job is to be in fellowship and community with you. And the same goes for Pastor Jared. The same goes for Pastor Steve and Pastor Israel. So as we do this together, we encourage one another in fellowship to not be fooled. Because if there's one thing that we know historically in the church is that every antichrist that has come, that is here now, and that will come in the future, will rise up out of the local church. That's some food for thought now, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious creator, sustainer. Even though that we know that there are false teachers among us, you are greater. Your teaching is greater. Your truth is absolute. It is ironclad. And that is the foundation in which we want to stand upon here at Villa's Grace, Lord. Please help us do just that. But not just know your truth, but to actually live out your truth. We want to be a church that makes disciples that makes disciples, Lord. And I pray that you use us to do that. You train us to do that. We pray all of these things and ask all of these things. Praise you because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen. 
Anyone who's been through a hurricane knows that the worst part of the hurricane is not actually the hurricane itself. Am I right? I mean, we've all pretty much been through a hurricane here. The actual hurricane isn't really that bad. So if the hurricane itself isn't what's the bad part of a hurricane, then what is the bad part of a hurricane? The cleanup? The cleanup. That's the worst part, especially the first week. A hurricane typically likes to hit in the middle of the hottest month of the year. And living in southwest Florida, uh, not so good when the power goes out and the AC is no longer working. And it's not so good when you have that constant reminder of the hurricane's damage months, even sometimes years out. But I think the hardest thing for me to deal with is the power outage. See, it isn't until the power goes out that you actually realize how reliant you are upon the power. Think about all the things that we use that require power. And it's not until the power goes out that I realize how reliant I am upon power because of the foolish thing I always do every time the power goes out. I don't know if you're like me, but this is what I do. The power's been out. I know the power's out. But what do you think I do when I walk into every single room? Hit the light switch. Church, you know whose light switch never goes out? See, we're pretty reliant on power, aren't we? But are we really reliant upon His divine power? And that is the title for our sermon this morning, His Divine Power. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, because obviously we are starting this new sermon series this morning. Today we're going to embark upon this new sermon series, but we're going to be encouraged that God's power is actually all that we need. We're going to see how God's power is all that's actually necessary in our lives. So please follow along if you want to read in your Bible or the verses will be on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with others by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promise, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Amen. When we look at these verses this morning, we want to put them into this one simple sentence. And that sentence is this. These four verses tell us that the power of God sustains and transforms lives forever. The power of God sustains 
and transforms lives forever. Now, let's ask a question. And the question we're asking is this. What evidence do we have of God's power? What evidence do we have of God's power? Now, we have plenty of examples that we probably could come up with, right? But I think one that we should never overlook and really focus on before we think of any of the other examples, and that is this, that our lives have been forever transformed from the power of a corrupted world. Our lives have been transformed from the power of a corrupted world. And we have that for you on your screen so you can see the fill in the blanks. Christianity is not a mystical religion. It's not mysticism. It's not this mystical religion that's... Let me, let me stop there. Some of you may be asking. We have something on the screen that we, we can put up for you that you can maybe understand this. See, you may be asking, what is mysticism? Maybe you've heard that term before, maybe you haven't, but what is it? See, mysticism by definition would be the belief that spiritual connection to God and the spirits can be obtained through thought and meditation. So like you see right here, there are different religions that believe that you become closer to God by just meditating hard enough or just thinking hard enough. It's, it's like saying this. It's like saying to know God in the spiritual world is to self-meditate just as it comes to you. Church, this is not Christianity. See, we are rational, we're historical and objective in our knowledge of who God is, who the Holy Trinity is. So, with that being said, what is our source? What is our source for being rational, historical, and objective? The B-I-B-L. That was your cue. Like, it doesn't sound bad enough coming from me. Can you just help a brother out? The B-I-B-L. Word of the B-I-B-L-E. Bible! I need as much help as I can possibly get. And I swear, some weeks you, you just look at me like, figure it out for yourself. Pastor Jared, you're going to be on the preaching schedule more often. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. Peter writes this, he says, A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing. So why do you suppose that Peter writes this? Why do you think he writes this very phrase? He says, obtained a faith. Think about that have obtained a faith. Hopefully this is not a spoiler alert for you, but you didn't earn it. There's nothing that you did to earn your salvation. 
Salvation has always been and always will be by faith alone, grace alone, Jesus. Peter is emphasizing that he, like all others, like it says here, attained the gift that God has given freely. Furthermore, he says that this gift is of equal standing. Do you recognize what's being indicated here? This gift given freely, he says it's of equal standing. So therefore, what Peter is saying is we are all first class Christians together. This further reveals the importance of why he wrote have attained or who have attained. Church, we must never forget. We did not earn our salvation. Jesus did. And that's the message that we go forward with. That is the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ that we take and run with, that we go with in our lives. And that definition is not mine. It is Milton Vincent's definition from the book, A Gospel Primer. If you want a book to read, that's a good read on the gospel to help train you to have a gospel perspective. It's called A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. It's amazing. You can read it as a daily devotional. It's that simple. But no amount of thought and meditation will ever bring us to a knowledge of who God the Father is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. You cannot just self-meditate until he comes to you. Church, it's through divine will that you have obtained a faith of equal standing. And it says also, the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. How much more precious can our faith be? See, it was the righteous act of God that paved the way for eternal salvation. And we are equal partakers in the grace of God. And I'm so thankful for His grace. A heathen like me? It couldn't have been any other way. And Peter goes on to say in verse 2 that may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. See, the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord is not an academic knowledge. I really don't care how much Bible you know because it's not about that. Rather, it's about an intimate knowledge of Jesus. The type of knowledge associated with getting to know someone like Adam got to know Eve. You know what I'm saying, right? That intimate. As believers, we are continually getting to know Jesus better. And that's what kind of church that we want to be. That's the example that we want to set. We don't want people to come in here and think, like, oh, man, they have it all figured out. No. We want people to see us striving to be learners of the gospel daily, continually learning how to follow Jesus. That is the example that we follow. That is how we encourage each other. And if we're not that type of church, I want nothing to do with this place. I, I mean that. We will be a church that is focused on discipleship. Are we doing that to the best of our ability right now? No. 
Do we hope to do it to the best of our ability in the future? Yes. Are we strategically planning to be able to do that? You better believe we are. Are we serious about it? Yes. Again, Christianity is not some mystical religion. When I have the, the verses back on the screen, just as I go through some of this so you can see where this is coming from, I want you to understand that this is coming from the, the biblical text. But see, meditation and persistent thought will not achieve this knowledge of Jesus. Rather, receiving the free gift of salvation will. Church, it's about Jesus and what he has done. Our righteousness is imputed from him. Our forever transformed lives from him. And these are all a result of what? The power of God. Only God has the power to give us a gift like this. And what he achieved through Jesus on the cross also reveals his power. So as you look at these first two verses this morning, know that what Peter is setting up for us is a display of God's power. But before we get into the next verses, I want to just go over our main idea this morning and not forget that our lives forever transformed from the power of a corrupted world. That's what we're seeing this morning. We're asking the question, actually, excuse me, I'm sorry, the main idea was the power of God sustains and transforms lives forever. That's what we're seeing. But we're asking the question, where have we seen this power be put on display? And we can say we've seen it be put on display from our lives forever transformed from the power of a corrupted world. There's this study from 2017 that states this. We have this illustration to depict this so you can kind of get a somewhat of an idea of about what I'm about ready to tell you. The study in 2017 said that 85% of all humans in the world live under a corrupt government. Corruption, for those of you that would like a definition, is defined like this. It is the abuse of entrusted power to, for private gain. Corruption is the abuse of power or entrusted power for private gain. 85% of all humans. Unfortunately, I bet that percentage is much higher. If we're honest, Maybe different countries and governments have different levels of corruption. But I would say 100% of all governments are corrupt at some level, somehow, some way. And for those of you that think that's a blanket statement that I shouldn't be making, how do you think I have confidence in making that statement? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We got sinners and sinful men running our government. But we also have sinful men leading this church. And I'm glad nobody gave me an amen for that one. <laughs> church, we've been saved from such corruption. Our growing knowledge of who Jesus is has not only transformed our lives, 
but it has delivered us from the fate of this world. And we see just that in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Whose divine power? His divine power. The divine power of Jesus has provided all that we need. Do you know what Peter is referring to by this term here, life? Do you think he's referring to your life now? Or do you think he's referring to your eternal life in Jesus? This is all about our life to come. This life is not easy. In fact, this life became more difficult since I became a believer. And sometimes this life becomes more difficult the more you follow Christ. But my hope is in my life to come. Therefore, we have confidence that our eternal salvation is what? Secure. There's nothing no one can do or any mistake that I can make, well, a.k.a. sin, my way out of eternal salvation. In John, Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. In Ephesians, we're told that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption to the day that Jesus comes back. Do you know what happens when you're not confident in your salvation, though? When you think that you can commit a sin that's going to take you out of God's good graces? He's going to revoke the gift that he gave you? You do things that you think will please God. So either A, you do things to keep in his good graces and just do nice things for people for the simple fact that you just want to please God, but you could really care about truly serving somebody else, or B, you do whatever it is that you think it is that you have to do to earn your salvation. And you're focused on you and doing things on your power, not his divine power. But either way, do you know what you neglect if you do? Just that. What it says here in the text, you neglect his divine power. Because his divine power just became your power. We rely on his power. Church, his divine power is our source not only for life, as it says here, but also for godliness. Do you know what two things pertain to godliness? There's, there's two things that pertain to godliness. One is an attitude that's in awe of God. You are in awe of who he is. So the question you should be asking yourself right now as it pertains to you and your life and where you're currently standing, are you in awe of God? Do you get up every day and say, I'm in awe of you? Or do you forget to be in awe of God? And to be in awe of God means you have tremendous respect 
for his creation. It means that you have tremendous respect and you're thankful for your salvation, that free gift given to you because of his power. The second thing that happens with godliness is obedience. Are you obedient in prayer every day? Are you reading God's word every day? Do you regularly, you Lord, I can't, I was a man, I knew that one wasn't going to come out. That's a hard one. Reg, you Lord, Larry, Larry, anybody want to help me with that one? Whew, on a regular basis, that's much easier. Love the English language, there's always a way around it. See, you guys are getting better. You're about ready to help me there. I think in about six months to a year, we're going to be on to something. Are you regular in your church attendance? For real, though. Not for my sake. But are you regular in your church attendance so you can fellowship and encourage one another? Be encouraged. That's part of godliness. Are you seeking to serve others? Are you sacrificially giving back that in which has been given to you? This is what pertains to godliness. All of these things pertain to life in godliness. Our knowledge of him is the same intimate knowledge that we described in verse 2. And we see that here. See, this intimate knowledge that you see next never stops growing. I hope I never stop learning the gospel. The most basic Gospel truths still resonate with me because as a sinner, I tend to start forgetting them. I need to be refreshed and reminded. That's why our fellowship is so important. But most importantly, this intimate knowledge of him allows us to appreciate his divine power. See, it's one thing to appreciate his creation. However, it's quite another thing to be in awe of what he has done for us as far as salvation goes through the person and finished work of Jesus upon the cross. So do you know what has to happen in order to be saved by faith? In order to accept that free gift, you know what has to happen? This is where I'm just blown away with God's divine power. See, it says we have to be called to his own glory in excellence. He has called you to his own glory in excellence. Church, our holy God cannot associate with anything less. So how could we not be in all of all that he has done for us. As if this wasn't remarkable enough, Jesus has made us a promise. As stated in verse 4, we understand that we have been promised, what? His precious and very great promises. This promise, or these promises, is none other than the Holy Spirit. That's the main promise. Jesus giving us his spirit to live within us. Have you ever stopped and wondered why he put his spirit in our heart? Why, why our heart? 
why has God put His Spirit in our heart? See, because without Him, we never could have done that ourselves. And we could have never have become what it says here. Partakers of the divine nature. You are a partaker of the divine nature. God's power supersedes our sin, the guilt of our sin. Satan's greatest trick, tempt you to sin, you sin, then you feel guilty. Satan took care of all of that with Adam and Eve, but he's right there to guilt trip you into why you actually sinned. But God's power supersedes all sin. Every day, and this is important for us to remember that, because every day, each and every one of us is at war with the ruling spirits of this world. Which is why God has done all this for us. It's why He has given us His divine nature. He's given us His divine nature for our protection. We have, been, we have to understand that our obedience to God is really just our being protected. We're being obedient so we can be protected, which is why we read His Word, His protection. Which is why we pray our way through life. His protection. Which is why we gather together weekly. His protection. Which is why we serve one another. His protection. Which is why we sacrificially give back that in which He has given us. His protection. like to call Mike up as we wrap up. Church, he, he, he's provided us with his protection against a corrupt world. The study said 85% of all humans live under a corrupt government. I would say 100% of governments are corrupt. So let's just face facts and say that's the way it is. We live in a sinful world. How do we know that this is true? Well, we establish that for all have sinned, right? That includes us. See, living a life that pertains to life and godliness because of His divine power is really because God's not only protecting us from the world, but He's protecting us from giving in to the temptation of sin those things, being focused on those things by reading his word daily by praying our way through life, by coming together on a regular basis and encouraging one another in fellowship by giving back what he has so graciously given us really protects us from that the last part of verse 4 shows us how God has ultimately protected us See where it says, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire? Church, this goes back to what Peter wrote earlier. This is because of our knowledge of him. We grow further and further away from this corrupt world 
we grow further and further away from this world's corrupt culture and grow closer and closer to the character of Jesus. So, as you have become, as it says, partakers of the divine nature, we begin to shed the character of culture and put on the character of God. So the real question is this. Each and every day, are you trusting His divine power like it's a life transformation forever? Are you trusting His divine power through prayer, through daily Bible reading, through the consistent gathering together, to giving back, to serving one another? Are you doing that? Whether you are or not, just be encouraged by what we saw in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 this morning. That one sentence that we can take away and say, the power of God sustains and transforms lives forever. And as we ask the question, what evidence do we have of God's power that we can reveal to others or be reminded of ourselves? The evidence is our lives transformed from the power of a corrupted world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue to pursue you, I just pray that we can be a church that truly encourages others to follow Christ. I pray that we move forward together. I pray that we make followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be peaks and valleys and a lot of hard work, Lord. But I pray that you prepare our hearts to do all that you have called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.